0: everyone. Welcome to the Felicity Optimist versus Cynic podcast with us, your hosts, Melissa and Fish. This is a Felicity Rewatch podcast. We'll watch an episode each week and join you here to talk about it. Just a quick reminder before we get into it, though, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We're going to try to only keep it to conversation about what we saw in season one, episode two, but it's possible we'll bring up some things that happened in the future of Felicity episodes. So just know that if you haven't seen all of Felicity, it could happen. We'll try to alert you when it does, but beware. So having said all that, I am Melissa, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Fish. Fish, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. I am ready to start talking about The Last Stand.
0: Yeah, this was a fun one. Uh, so The Last Stand aired October 6th, 1998. It was written by J.J. Abrams and directed by Matt Reeves. They made a great team. The description on this one is, when Felicity learns, a male called the admissions office requesting a copy of her application essay She assumes it was Ben, the subject of said essay, and sends him a copy. Meanwhile, Felicity's parents pop up in New York again. There was a lot to this episode, Bish. So where, where do you want to start?
1: For me, The Last Stand is a great title, but it's a bit simplistic for this episode. It is The Last Stand where Felicity says, I'm staying in New York to her parents, and she makes a decision. But what I really took away from the episode was how people are interacting with each other when they are choosing to tell the truth and when they are choosing to lie about things. They're doing it for a variety of reasons. We pan in on Felicity as she's speaking, saying that she is over Ben. And then we see Julie next to her. And Felicity says, and Julie's over Ben. So Everything is great, and this is not true, as the two are staring longingly at this man. We also get to see some of the consequences of the truth that happened in episode one, the pilot. Felicity is pretty much word vomiting over everyone. We get to see her speak with Noel and see the consequences of Noel telling her that he had feelings for her. It's now awkward. And that is one of the reasons that I see a lot of characters not really telling the full truth in this episode, just to make social interaction easier. But there is a fair amount of lying to oneself as well. I love that Felicity says, when she's with Noel, this statement that you can only say when you were young, You can never be ashamed of the truth, which, of course, we find is not even true throughout the episode as Felicity runs down her letter that she has sent to Ben. There is a wonderful scene and series of scenes with her parents where lying versus truth really comes into play. I've been to college and none of our floors were shampooed with something that smelled like beer unless it was beer. And so there's there's just lie after lie that she's telling her parents in the dorm as they're looking around and getting a first impression. And in the same vein, as they're meeting with the counselor, Felicity's parents are not being completely forthcoming. Her father saying, we didn't give you an ultimatum, when they completely gave her an ultimatum. But what I find special about this episode is... You begin to see, yes, the consequences of telling a certain type of unconsidered truth, and then you see all of these sort of series of lies. But there's an evolution of the episode to people getting to know each other better by actually sharing things that are important about themselves. So before I continue and and talk a little bit more about that, Wanted to kind of get your sense of maybe some of those scenes with her parents and with Noel and Julie and others.
0: Yeah, there there was a lot of good stuff that you said there. And I didn't in my head think of this as truth versus lie, but I see exactly how you got there. And I think that's a really good way to classify all of these scenes. For me, I thought of this a lot as people hiding their feelings, both From other people and from themselves. I saw that with the parents and with all the friends that were tracking, but I put those things in two different buckets because I guess I think that the stuff with the friends is a little bit more simple in some ways than the stuff with the friends. And for me, you know, that idea of I'm hiding my feelings, for me, I guess the breakdown was more about who's hiding it from the other person and who's hiding it from themselves. And, you know, by proxy, the other person. And I think there was a lot of complexity around that in this episode. So that's what initially jumped out for me. I mean, we see of the friends, the person who sort of confronts things the most is Ben with Julie. But even there, I think that they're not, they're really sort of dancing on the edges of how they all really feel. So when I think about what this episode was in the big picture, it feels like there's eventually going to be an explosion because everybody's holding so much in from themselves and from other people. And whether we see that explosion happen all in one episode later on, or whether we see it happen sort of piece by piece with each of these different elements being unraveled, I think it has to happen because there's a real buildup that's happening in the last stand that we can track going forward
1: i can see that on the side with the friends and i completely agree that people are not being forthcoming with their own feelings because when they have been then they're getting themselves into trouble i found that ben was purposefully holding back uh, from julie he's not declaring his love for her but there's sort of a gentle pursuit that he's starting. She's pretty upfront with the fact that she is avoiding him and it's not because of him and it's not because of Felicity. And again, she's not sharing everything, but he still asks to see, to hear her play guitar. And that is, as I said, what I see as this kind of gentle pursuit of her showing that he's still interested without overpowering her something that we absolutely do not get from Noel. He is the complete opposite of Noel in this this episode. So, I'll come back to more about her parents because I I do agree there's a lot more about them and and what I saw is kind of the evolution towards a better truth. But if we can just take a minute to talk about Noel because first of all, he got a lot cuter between the pilot and here. They clearly wanted to make him more of a viable love interest. Mm-hmm. And so he got a lot cuter and a whole lot creepier. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, my first note about Noel is look at the size of that man's computer. That's, that's what those computers were like. Then. That's just a side note though. Because, okay, you saw him as creepier. Well, yeah, there were a lot of things in the pilot that I was like not sure about with Noel, but I would say for me, the driving force for Noel in this episode is his desperate need to be liked by Felicity's parents. It was clear, it was all over his face. He was working so hard to per- put on a good front, and he was really failing most of the time, but he tried so hard. And I think that is the kind of thing that you only expect somebody to do if you're in a relationship so it's a it's a big jump for this guy who's still you know in crush phase to be trying to impress her parents but that's what we got from Noel in this episode
1: yeah he is clearly overstepping he is her ra so that's already weird and then she's talking to him about how he had feelings for her and he says Oh, don't worry. It was just a power trip. Not feeling great about that. And then there's this, I feel really manipulative moment where he is trying to get her parents to come because he wants to meet them. It is not at all clear to me that his motives are genuine in getting them to to understand her and for it not to be a mystery the way that he says for the reasons that he says they should be coming. So you've got him dealing with this, let's say, conflict between two other students where one is dreaming and talking about stabbing the other roommate, which we can laugh about now and I guess we could have laughed about in the 90s. With all of the violence that goes on in schools, I don't know that this ages as well. Yeah. So actually having one of them come in with a knife and having him talk to these two people, his priorities become very clear because he is trying to find out if Lewis is going to stab his roommate. Mm-hmm. And as he starts to ask this, Felicity comes along and he just drops that. So he's he's completely manipulated the situation. He is ignoring potential violence. Uh, that is under his authority. And and he says what I think is a very creepy line, not as creepy as the blood bags, don't get me wrong, but can't wait to meet the people that made you. Uh-huh. You are two people like, desperately in love with each other, staring into each other's eyes, and you're going to get married, and you're caught up in that. I could see someone saying that. Your RA who says he has a power trip going on and is like trying to get people not to stab each other. This is not an appropriate statement.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, so many, so many things to talk about there. First of all, one of the things that I love about this show is that they really do show you, there are a lot of times when they have these minor scenes with people you don't really know in the dorm and I love that because that is actually kind of what dorm life feels like. You've got your core group and then there are the people that are also living there that you see and you have these moments with. And so the fact that they carve time into the show to give you these little moments, I think is fantastic. This particular one You know, I didn't know whether to laugh or not laugh because it it was comedic at the time and the, the comedic timing of the people playing these parts, you know, Larry and Lewis, it was it was spot on. But like you said, the subject matter didn't age well. We've seen more violence in schools and it's been such a consistent through line in the news over the years. So, it's hard it's hard to find the comedy of that funny the way you might have when you saw this back in 1998 or early 2000s. But I do I do love that they make time in the show for moments like this. And we'll certainly see a lot more of that especially freshman year, and I appreciate it. The stuff that you were saying with Noel, you know, when he talks about the power trip I actually saw that as a lie. He was just trying to soften the moment. He was trying to joke his way or fake his way through. I mean, she had called him out and what she said was honest and true. And uh, he was trying to back out of it. And so he said that. And so for me, it played comedic, not creepy. But I definitely see why you would have taken it that way. I don't think he meant it literally. I think he, he really was feeling the way she described, and he was trying to back his way out of the situation as much as he could. I think it's worth pointing out that in our welcome episode, Fish, you you came down on a side and you were like, I was into Knoll. So listen, folks, if you are listening to this and, it was, and you're in that Ben versus Knoll conflict and you're on the Knoll side, we might eventually swing back around to Knoll. <laughs> happen up top here yeah I think fish is 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 having some moments watching this character back
1: it's true however I will also say that in the last episode I said that I enjoy living in the creepy and awkward so you know he he fits he fits right in into my sweet spot there I didn't mean that as it sounded Um. (laughs) well
0: well you did tell us that you wanted it to be Fish and Noel not Felicity and Noel so I I guess this is all lining up for me here and what you're describing but Mm -hmm. there were so many things in this episode that I look at some some of the some of the smaller things first of all I love that Mrs. Jessup is the agent of chaos she, she tells Felicity, you've got an admirer. Hey, somebody was asking about your college admissions essay, and she sends the whole world into disarray, and she doesn't even have a speaking role. She just kind of stands over Felicity, and we get an episode out of it. I mean, that's a lot of power for Mrs. Jessup.
1: She is, and she sets everything in motion. This starts to come back to, as I saw, kind of the role of truth versus lying with her parents as she is having this meeting with the guidance counselor. First, I just want to say Felicity was paying for this herself. There is actually no reason that the school should be intervening or mediating with her parents. She is over 18. She's an adult. They have nothing to do with her financial aid. So I was I was a little taken aback that the school would allow this. So let's just assume that this is for some reason okay, and not potentially illegal. So we get into this meeting where she starts talking to her mom and her dad about why she came. And again, she just decides without considering what might happen to tell them that she came out there, for Ben. And she sees the immediate consequences with her parents, both freaking out and asking, how is this possible? And it was nice that the counselor stepped in and said, you know, this isn't the reason that she's staying, starts to bring, uh, you know, the conversation back on track. Then Felicity, she talks about these Tuesdays that she spent with her mother, it is clear that they had a very close relationship before she went away to college. And her mother was very invested in it, and she was as invested in it as, you know, a child growing up can be. And she makes this almost unfortunate metaphor, or she, she's trying to explain, you know, how she feels stepping out on her own. And she says, I'm eating a hamburger. I realize it's a Tuesday, basically saying I'm out on my own eating on a Tuesday. I'm no longer at home. And you see the camera pan over to her mother's face. And I had originally written down that I saw both that she was proud and she was hurt. But then in her mom's immediate reaction, I crossed off the word proud which is interesting because later she does say she was proud. So I then went back and wrote proud again towards the end of the episode. So, you know, she's she's now stuck in this moment where her mother is is very hurt and her father is angry. And how are we going to get from that to the end of the episode where I actually think they all share something of themselves and they get back to a better spot. And we can talk more about that, but I want to see what your initial reactions were. I had a lot of initial reactions.
0: Every scene with the parents was very complex to me and in different ways. And I think that they did quite a job to, in one episode, show an arc that I think in real life might not have taken the equivalent of one episode to do. I guess the first thing that I want to say, because it's interesting that you mention that the parents probably shouldn't have been able to have this meeting with her counselor given that they weren't actually stakeholders in this situation. So it's interesting that you say that. I think on a on another side of looking at this, I had this experience when I was in college when I can't remember it was my junior or senior year, maybe, and I was I had to get back early from winter break a lot of athletes did what used to happen is you know the winter athletes you were still in season you were probably competing and so the they needed to get you back to school right after the holidays so that you didn't have too long a break and then you could get right back down to it but what they did was they didn't have you go back to your dorm they opened up one dorm for a couple of weeks and all the athletes just stayed in it. So you were back at school, but you were not in your room. You didn't have any of your stuff. It was somebody else's room. So there was this one year where I had to go back and it was agreed that a teammate of mine would drive me. And, you know, usually it was my parents that would drive me back to school. So this was unusual. And I could tell that they were really worried about me getting to school safely though that worry was just in their head. There was no real reason to be worried. So we uh, we drove back to school. Everything was fine. We were trying to get settled into somebody else's room. This was before cell phones, or at least before I had a cell phone. So the only time that I could potentially call my parents was when I got to the gym to go to practice, which was later that day when I arrived. And by the time I arrived in the gym, my coach told me, Oh, your parents called. They're wondering if you're okay. I was like, okay, I'll call them. And then within 10 minutes, maybe five minutes, two other administrators, one of whom I never met, were like, is Melissa here? Her parents called and they're trying to figure out if she's okay. And now it went from being like, I'll call them to I was actually felt really violated because I had no phone to call them until I got to the gym. And I felt like it had become a federal case. So now like all, all of these people were being involved, administrators, people who worked at the school, they were getting into my business and I didn't want that. And I was about to call them. And so the feeling that I had when that happened to me is sort of the feeling that I had when I saw that Felicity's parents were sitting in her counselor's office. It's a level of intrusion almost like they, they in, inserted themselves physically, into a situation that didn't really require that level of involvement. If they had been able to have a conversation with her, which how much were they really trying to do that? It might have been a different scenario, but you can see her initial reaction is like, ah, like she 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 feels the ambush of it. And so that puts the whole conversation on a very strange footing. And I think they do a good job in the episode of getting them to a place where they can have conversations. And I think the counselor helps bring the conversation back on track when it's needed. But I do think there was a lot of stuff in that conversation that really was so complicated. Like, you know, the dad saying, we never insisted, you know, were we asking, were we being too controlling and then Felicity saying, yeah, uh, no, no, you weren't the whole bit about eating the burger and her mom's reaction and her mom feeling so hurt right away. And I think, you know, her parents in this moment are not able to appreciate that she's made a decision and she's doing it. She's doing her decision and she's doing, taking it on herself. And as much as you can feel hurt At some point, you also need to let go if this relationship is going to go to a positive place. So one of the things that really came up for me as a theme in this episode is when uh, Julie labels all this as rejection later, that idea that there's this feeling of rejection that her parents have, and they have to cope with that before they can treat Felicity as an adult. That really rang true for me, looking at this first scene where you can unpack all that conversation. Um, I don't know. There was there was a lot to me in this in this first couple of interactions that they had. And arguably, they get to a different place towards the end of the episode. Uh, But there's a lot to that, too. I think there's so many things that uh, Felicity's mom says to her that Felicity only one third hears all the stuff that her mom is communicating to her. So I don't know. I'll th- I'm going to throw this one back over to you because I, I could talk forever about this. But what, what do you think about how all that unfolded?
1: Yeah, I was going to come back to that same moment with Julie, only I think I labeled it a little differently. I saw this as a moment, again, of Julie's empathy. She is putting herself in the place of Felicity's parents and explaining to Felicity, who I still think is in that self-centered mode this is what is happening emotionally with your parents. And her mother does say some really horrible things. And it, it's hard to kind of get over that, but Felicity does. And so I think from this combination of having empathy for the other person, realizing your parents are flawed and taking what I think is almost a superhuman amount of of reflection and as i said empathy to deal with them it's one of those inconsistencies that i see between her being so young and then having these moments of you know emotional maturity you know she has this dinner with her father where her mother doesn't even show up and her father then says i'm willing to pay for you to go to school and what he does in that moment is he makes it all about himself he says this is really important to me that i have done all this work and gotten to a certain point in my life and it's important that i am paying for you to go to school and felicity accepts that which i mean i probably would have flipped the table So you know my my reaction is okay. I mean this is this is her really feeling and understanding where her father is coming from and accepting it and saying thank you, which is just again this superhuman amount of control that she has over her emotions. And similarly, when her mother comes back, she has this. what i think is actually a really nice moment i think her mother first deals with this absolutely terribly and then actually does a good job because she sits down with felicity and explains where she's coming from she says you know i had this very strong reaction because of my past and she says these tuesdays that we had with each other i lived for them which is a lot of pressure to put on a kid and she recognizes that it was too much and she does need to let go. And then they have this nice cute shared moment where her mother and her in a similar fashion to her and Julie uh just kind of stare at Ben as he as he walks away after Felicity introduces him as The guy that she came to college for, and her mother understands that. So, you know, it's always nice to stare at a good-looking butt. So, you know, mother-daughter moments, also kind of creepy. But at the end of the episode, she is hugging her parents. They've accepted that she's staying there. I fully agree. This is a whole lot of progress in a very short amount of time. And I do feel a disconnect on, on whether or not this would really happen.
0: So we have slightly different interpretations on the Felicity maturity piece of it, because I think what you were seeing as her empathy and maturity was her not really, not really processing what her parents were doing or saying. I think on the surface of this episode, on the surface, her parents are now saying, we accept your decision. I'm not sure that's real all the way deep down for them yet. So, like you said, her dad is is saying, "All right, I lost this battle. Like you're staying here. I get that. I will pay room and board i'm I've noted how he was saying, "You know, had you been at Stanford, room and board wouldn't have been an issue, so there was an assumption that she would have lived at home and that she would have continued to be a presence in their home life. And you know, he's going to take on that expense for her now, and he says it, but he looks really bothered. He doesn't look like he's made peace with it. He looks like he's doing it though. And, you know, she says, thank you. And I don't know if she says it because she's thinking, okay, they're, they're backing down. I can live my life now. It, it may not be the last she hears on this topic. I, I think, you know, this is probably not the end of the conversation. It's probably the end of this part of the conversation. And now that he's paying for something there is a string attached. Like he now is in a position where he can always say, but I'm paying your room and board. So he, he may feel now that he can be part of her decisions. She doesn't really know where this is going to go. And she's not really asking. She's just this part of the conversation seems to be closed with her mom. I felt even more that she was not prepared to process all the stuff that her mom was telling her. Cause I think her mom was having some very major adult revelations in that moment. And she was revealing them to Felicity and they were so big. I'm just looking back at some of the things that she said. And she, she told Felicity, you know, I met your father very young. I had you at 20. She says, all those visions I had for my life, all the dreams you think might possibly materialize, they all started disappearing one by one. She says it's not because of Felicity, but at the end of the day, she was pregnant and she made decisions with that in mind. And that's a heavy load to put on your daughter. And Felicity really didn't address it, didn't acknowledge it. And it wasn't the battle of the moment. You know, she was just, to me, it was like she was hurt that her mother was hurt by hearing her truth. She didn't realize her mother could be hurt by hearing her truth. She's trying to figure out how to patch things up with her mom. And in the process, her mom is telling her stuff that is so deeply heavy that she probably should unpack and just does not have the wherewithal to do it right now. And I don't even know that she's heard it yet the way that her mom said it. So yeah, to me, there was a lot in those scenes. And um, there's a lot of father that can be explored for future episodes if they decide to go that way. And we'll just have to see if Felicity starts to hear this stuff.
1: I can see that. It's not, I guess, the way that I saw it this time, but it's what you said. We'll have to see what happens in the future episodes. Because I did feel that moment with her mother. It seemed genuine.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it was genuine. I think the mom was having some really important discoveries. And what she was saying was genuine. It was just very loaded. And it
1: was, it was very loaded and similarly, I absolutely agree with what you said about strings being attached with money. That is something that, you know, I've dealt with in my own life and, you know, the reason that I would probably have flipped the table. Making sure that I have the money to support myself is, is very important because when you're depending on someone else, if you don't have the same understanding of the power dynamic of what your decisions mean then it can become highly explosive. So if her father does then jet in again at another point in time and says, well now you have to be pre-med because that's what I said, that could definitely end up being an issue again. And I do hope for her sake that she kept that that whole financial aid process and packages and things like that, because she may need it again. But I do still feel like she did show emotional maturity, I guess, in her passivity. And and maybe it is not processing, and maybe it's falling back on how she was before. But I guess just coming to it from my perspective, where I would have been pissed and hurt, her kind of acceptance of these things. She she doesn't look angry and hurt. She does look kind of bewildered at first. And then she seems to, to be kind and, and hugging them and trying to get back to some sort of good relationship, which I found very interesting juxtaposed with this scene that she has with Julie where she's alone in the cafeteria. And then Julie comes in and she, you know, talks about her parents feeling rejected. And then the two of them look at each other and say, I feel so grown up now, which just kind of put this smile on my face because they're starting to, you know, it's a process. They're not grown up as we've seen throughout the episode with Felicity impulsively sending her essay to Ben. But it, gave, it at least gave me a moment to try to see things from her parents' side. I was trying to put myself in their shoes as they're walking into Felicity's dorm, which if they went to college, they should know. theres It's gonna smell like beer, it just is. They walk into what is actually a very beautiful room, but yes, she has an interesting roommate. She has a an interesting RA. There's a guy with a knife. Some of these things don't seem great, They had just heard before that the reason she came was over a guy. And then we hear from Julie that the reason she came was because she had found her birth mother's name. So two women who had initially decided to come to New York for reasons that were not related to their education or, you know, at least their financial future. So It's very much the beginning of a process of growing up. And I thought that it was very interesting that Felicity talks to the counselor about feeling guilty for growing up. I definitely would not say that has been my experience. I was ready to get out. But just because we're on the subject of of growing up, I did want to give an award. I have an award this time. And I think, I mean, again, this may change I uh, may need to reaward it later but we have to remember this is 1998 before millennial bashing started and felicity has this wonderful line at the beginning of the episode saying everyone's a snowflake <laughs> so i am awarding that the most millennial quote <laughs> for this episode not in any negative way i am not going to to wade into the generations before versus generations to come but i definitely think it was something early on that uh, reflected that individuality that we see of of the millennial generation
0: yeah i a, a few different things i want to say about what you were just saying first of all the scene between julie and felicity obviously another very heavy scene. And I wanted to make a general note about the show because I have discovered, so I had an opportunity recently to also do a rewatch with somebody who's new to Felicity on a different platform. So Fish and I are watching basically what was the DVDs. I went back and watched on like, Amazon and abc.com, a couple of episodes of somebody else. And I realized the music is completely different. And so I think that there was the music that was underpinning the show when it originally aired on the WB. I think that when they went to, what was it? We, uh, when they had re- the reruns airing, I think that might be the same music that ended up on the DVDs. And I suspect that the music that's now on streaming platforms is yet another soundtrack and there's some overlap but some of the stuff that we're highlighting as being really important musical choices may or may not be what you're hearing and i'm not sure how that changes things so i'm just the scene with julie and felicity i was just looking it up on what we're, what we were watching, it was a wonderful song called Displaced by Azure Ray, but the original airing had a Sarah McLachlan song. And Sarah McLachlan was very much the vibe of this show for a, a long, for, you know, as long as it ran. So there was definitely a sort of like 90s feminine, like that sort of sound. Uh, there was also a lot of indie rock. So I just wanted to say, uh, if we ever make comments about sound, I think it's worth noting that not everybody is going to have the same experience with the music that you're hearing on the show, but the music that we're hearing really feels like it resembles what the show was. So I wanted to say that about that scene, because I felt like the songs that they had originally were really had the right vibe for a scene as heavy as what you see with Julie and Felicity, Julie is going to be really good at doing heavy scenes in this show. They're going to probably give her some more of those along the way. And she's just really good at it. But on contrasting that there was so much comedy in this episode. And I I know we've spent a lot of time talking about the heavy stuff because there was a lot of it in this episode, but there was so many funny moments. The comedy of errors that happened When Felicity's parents show up at the dorm, which by the way, that is never a good place to like, that is not the place you bring the parents to feel comfortable. People are living their lives. You cannot control your dorm mates. Some may be doing fine things. Some may not. You have no control over it. So for future people thinking about like, this could be the way to get everybody comfortable. That's probably not it, but you know, one after another, these things are happening and it's just, you know, Noel has his transgression and, you know, they see Megan and Larry and the knife and the fire alarm goes off. And I also have an award here, most facial expressions in 20 seconds. I'm going to give that to Noel after he says, Hey, when did the overbearing parents get here? The amount of stuff that happened on his face in almost no time at all, was hilarious to me. And just that whole thing, it was really meant to play comedically as just the comedy of errors that it was. You know that there's really sort of tragic consequences to what's happening, but it still is just like, what more could they possibly pile on to this? And then You know, they give us plenty of time to look at Megan's side of the room. Again, Megan, we've seen maybe, what, 20, 30 seconds of actual screen time for Megan, and the impact she has made has been massive. Fish and I stopped down on what was on her side of the room just to really marvel at the way the set designers (laughs) had established her room. Fish, what are some of the things that we found on Megan's side of the room?
1: Well, I mean, we did have an argument over whether there were one or multiple skulls, and you know i I personally very much enjoyed what I saw as sateen dark purple sheets. I will say in college did have an acquaintance male acquaintance with black satin sheets on his bed. Remember visiting that. Don't remember his name, but definitely remember the bed. <laughs> So that was a choice. That was a definite choice. Yeah, everything about that room, that side of the room to me reads Megan, reads, you know, perfectly her. I was a little thrown off by the normal purse. That I think was like the out of place thing over there.
0: Yeah. And I picked up some other things. So in her closet, there's the top right of the closet, there's a giant Mask. It's it's like white, a white face with just red feathers or or whatever, a boa all over it. I don't know what. I don't even know how to describe the mask. It was oversized. I don't know what events she went to that warranted that particular mask, but it was amazing. And then uh, I also enjoyed that kind of right over Felicity's head in one of the shots is a big poster for an event called Funeral Bration. I don't know what that event is, but it was exactly the type of thing that you would think Megan would go to. And, you know, they just had these little touches. And even if you don't pause your screen to pick up on all of them, you feel it in how Megan comes across. This is a woman with a really eclectic taste.
1: I would say, though, I, I just wanted to pause for a moment because you said earlier when they first showed noel in this episode your thought was wow size of that computer mine was is that a giant american flag he's got hanging on his back wall because why i mean noel doesn't scream you know ultimate patriot to me so i was very thrown off by the giant flag that takes up his like entire back wall just again, it it's a choice.
0: Yeah, I guess we're going to have to see if Noel's patriotism is a thread that we should be tracking later in the show. I'm not really sure. One one other thing I wanted to point out, and this was another minor character moment, but he's, I find this guy so funny. So there was the the, sta- the, the, the person on staff at the mailroom that Felicity is trying to work over so she can get that letter back. <laughs> I looked him up. His name is Bob Clendenen. And this is not the only time we'll see him in this show. And he's going to have more than one job at the school in this show. So anytime they needed a guy to play like a counselor or (laughs) something like that, they were like, hey, Bob, (laughs) come on out. We got another job for you. So I think it's so funny because kind of reminds me of uh in the Gilmore Girls there's a guy named Kurt who has just like a different job every episode and it's not to that level but this guy kind of does that and he's he's so good up against Felicity and she's trying to manipulate him and he's absolutely not having it and he really gives it back to her in that scene so I I'm looking forward to seeing other times when he
1: will appear I am glad that you're talking about Bob. I feel like he was in Gilmore Girls as well, as sort of a side actor. I've seen him in a couple other shows, and he always plays this awkward side character. And can we just give a shout out also to Larry, who now is of Harold and Kumar fame? It it was very hard not to see that scene as funny because he is an amazing comedic actor. And uh, I have not yet been able to see Cowboy Bebop, but I will. And it's on my list. Um, I absolutely love him. And I love that, you know, I get this little glimpse of him for the first time as a uh, a scared freshman with a potentially homicidal roommate. I I feel his he's just beginning to develop his acting chops and I'm here for it.
0: He was really good in the role, I'll tell you that. So yeah, we we appreciate all these side characters, all these smaller parts and the the way they fill out this show. I I do want to, you know, I I was just thinking about, you know, I am the optimist and I know that some of the stuff I said here wasn't as optimistic. So I'd like to circle back and give you some notes from an optimist and, and make us all feel good for a moment. So look, I know I'm, I'm sort of wondering, is this the final, the final stand that's really needed um, with the Felicity and her parents dynamic? But I will say that it really is a huge step for her parents that they're, starting to let go, that they're starting to accept her as an adult, that, you know, they're, they're making that, that first effort. And, you know, I want to have that hope that when you love somebody, whether they be your child or whether they be a friend or somebody else, significant other, that you can give them some amount of freedom to do what they need to do. Chances are that's going to work out better than if you prevent them from doing what they want to do. And, you know, we're seeing them do that here. And I, I have to acknowledge them, for that in this episode, because it's not easy. The decisions Felicity is making is it's hurting them. It hurts them. They do feel, I guess that rejection, or they do feel that she's, she's making new choices that have nothing to do with them. And they have to come to grips with that. And they're starting to right? And that's, that's a big ask. It's a tall order and they're doing it. And I think that's, that's where you start to see if it's going to be a loving relationship that move has to be made and they're starting to do it so i do feel good about that
1: this is a very nice note from our optimist uh-huh.
0: yeah i will say that normally we we plan to do the what sally said what sally meant segment but that's not going to happen today because they didn't have that segment in this particular episode, we did open with Felicity talking to Sally, but we didn't close with hearing what Sally had to say. They, they were trying to do a lot in this episode. They just didn't have time to have a Janine Garofalo voiceover. So unfortunately, we don't get to hear the continuation of the incredibly interesting take that Fish had on what was really going on with Sally. But I do look forward to next time we get that segment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming she's in witness protection right now and she's not set up to get those tapes out.
0: This is a really good point that I hadn't considered. She had a com- uh, a complexity of the logistics of her life based on, you know, your, your
1: viewpoint that I
0: hadn't considered. You know, she might not even have gotten the tape
1: yet. This is true. I mean, postal system, that guy, I mean, he seems to think it's important, but we, we all know how the postal system works.
0: Hmm Well, yeah, uh, my goodness. Well, what we, what we are excited to share, though, so we have another segment about listener feedback. It's called, "After you listen to this tape, you have to erase it." And we have been doing some digging. as you may remember when we talked about the pilot episode, we were asking some hard-hitting questions about nightgowns, and if people wear nightgowns in college or if they don't. And we have somebody who had something to say about this. So we heard from Angela. And she says, I was in college when Felicity aired, loved it, and recently rewatched. One of the things I love about the show is that, for me at least, it truly captured so many of the feelings I had in college. Your conversation about nightgowns brought up a very specific memory for me. On my first night in the dorms, I connected with a group of girls and went out with them for a bit. When we got back, my introverted self was socially exhausted, hot, no AC, and homesick, So I put on the ridiculous 1800s prairie-style nightgown my mom had given me. And then one of the girls knocked on my door to see if I wanted to watch a movie. I'll never forget the look on her face when she saw my nightgown, ha. All of that to say, I think you're right that people didn't generally wear nightgowns in college. I should add that I have never been a nightgown person, but it rang true for me because I was wearing mine to feel closer to home. Thank you very much, Angela. I, I don't know if this... This really cements us on one side or the other of the to nightgown or not to nightgown debate. I think we need more information. And Angela makes a really compelling case where she had, she wore a nightgown and there was a really good reason why, but she doesn't know that she was totally accepted by others for doing so. So I don't know where this, I don't know where we land with this fish. What do you think?
1: Well, I have to say... I was thinking about this and it didn't even occur to me to come forward in the last recording that we did and say, while I was recording this episode, I was wearing a nightgown and you know what? I'm wearing another one today. Yes, because here's the thing. I fully understand where Angela's coming from. Nightgowns for me, became my preferred comfort garment because it was hot. If you have to wear pants or something like that, and then it gets really hot. And yes, it's the middle of winter now, but all of the people below me have their thermostats at 80. So nightgowns are just, they're cooler. And yet, you know, they're better than an oversized t-shirt in case you have company. So I'm just saying, I think... I I personally have come around to being a nightgown person, but you know, there was a certain cool factor in, in not wearing them in college. Although then again, this is the time when you get to be you. So if you're a nightgown person and you're in college, I say wear it and wear it proudly, you know, walk down the hall in it because if you like it, who cares what anybody else thinks they're great they're cool in terms of temperature and you're cool for not caving to peer pressure
0: well you know there, there may be more to uncover with this topic we appreciate angela's feedback and Everybody else, feel free to weigh in on this. This may not be the final chapter of this story. I know that the nightgowns, that was a thing in the pilot episode. But if we need to go all season unpacking this, we will, because that's the kind of investigative journalists we are. And we're going to get to the bottom of whether people wore nightgowns in college or not. But I think we're here to accept everybody's answers. I'm certainly... Learning a lot in this process, and uh, I will also I will also point out that I uh, am introverted as well, so I certainly know the feeling of like going out for the first part of the party and then coming back, and, like getting into comfortable clothes and unwinding. So uh, I'm I'm sure that there are other people out there who have had that experience, but I guess that would have been the time to put on a nightgown. So for those who want to share more feedback with us or any feedback at all on this topic or others, because we talk about a lot of things, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can reach us at themelissafish at gmail.com. That's Melissa with one L, two S's, themelissafish at gmail.com. Yeah. Send us your feedback or Felicity artwork if you're an artist and any of that, that would be awesome. But that's uh, where we're at with nightgowns.
1: Yeah, I have one one final comment on really attire in general, because one of the things that I found so freeing about college is because I was on a sports team, and yes, I was pretty much wearing the clothes from the team all the time, and they were super comfortable, but I would come into class, and I would see people not in nightgowns, but clearly in what they had worn the night before. Mm-hmm. So... Let me know your thoughts on that as well, because, you know, I'm interested in sort of general attire. I mean, it seems like Felicity and Julie and others get fully dressed to go out. And I have not had that same experience. I feel like campus attire. What are your thoughts?
0: Hmm, That's a good question. I'd like to hear that from people too. I'm, I'm, I'm de- definitely not your fashion icon myself, so I, uh, I'm sure I was always about comfort no matter what I did. But for people who do care about <laughs> what they wear, I wonder, wonder where you weighed in because I know college it's often easy to roll out of bed and go to class or you know I remember people getting really dolled up to go out. But yeah, what was your experience? Everyone, feel free to share it with us. And as you consider that. I think it's time to share our ratings of the episode and what we thought of it overall. We've both given an award, but what did you think for the episode as a whole?
1: This one was a little hard for me to rate because on the one hand, I feel like a lot of things were dealt with in a very complex manner. We had a different side of Noel, at least from my perspective. But I really liked, I continue to like how the show is shot and the music that we hear that accompanies it. So it's hard for me to, it's hard to go below a seven, but I can't really give it more points because I, I still feel that disconnect between the emotional maturity of Felicity and how old she actually is and the other things that she does like mailing Ben her essay. So I'm, I'm going to stick with seven gloves for this episode.
0: All right. So we've got seven out of 10 gloves from fish. I also uh, it's so funny. I also gave this one. I'm going to, so I'm going to measure this one in funeral bration posters. And I gave it seven out of 10 funeral bration posters. And my reasoning is a little different. I mean, I, I think what they're doing in this episode, they do so well. They they really do seem to know who these characters are. And that helps me enjoy the show because I, I I know where they're going and I don't see completely different people in these episodes. And so it tells me that they had a really good sense of where to begin these characters and they allowed them to have the growth over the series that they need to have. So I do like that. And I like the style of the show, but there are some things in this particular episode that they, they just didn't allow themselves time for that were really meant to be part of the show. I mean, first of all, the fact that they opened up with this, the she's mails Ben, the essay, they did not have time to resolve that. I feel like the way Ben is just like, Oh, you sent me your essay. Cool. I don't really feel that that was a realistic endpoint. They just didn't have more time in the show because they had dealt with so many other things. So I think that they tried to do a little too much in this episode. And so it's funny to me when I looked back at what the description was, which is mostly about the essay and the actual person who received the essay gets glossed over at the end. So um, that was, to me, a, a pacing issue. And I really just think they had so much going on, they couldn't get to it. Um, also, we didn't get Sally, probably maybe for the same reason. I don't know. But that was you know a device they had set up for her. And it was one that they were only able to do halfway this time. So I think because of those those things, it tells me that uh, the pacing wasn't all the way there for this particular episode, but you know, I, there was so much that I did love about it. So seven out of 10 is still really strong for me, but yeah, that's what I thought about it overall.
1: Well, I think that we have covered a lot today. I feel good about this. There's a lot to look forward to in the next episode
0: there will be uh, and actually the next episode is called hot objects i'm looking forward to that one i uh, remember liking that episode and in the meantime again if you have anything to share with us we would love to hear from you at the at gmail.com. uh if you're interested to follow us on instagram you can find us at felicity podcast and by the way, uh, you also, if you want to know when we're dropping these episodes, we have a newsletter where we send out a newsletter right after we drop them. So if you check out the show notes, you can find a link to that so you can sign up and never have to wonder when a, when a new episode of our podcast has been released. But yeah, those are all the ways to reach us. And we, we love hearing from you and getting to know who's watching Felicity out there. So you know, before we wrap up, Fish, is, was there any last things you wanted to say about this one?
1: My last thing would be, for all the times that Felicity has just blurted out the truth, why couldn't when she saw Ben and she's holding on to the envelope of of the letter that she's holding, why this one time, couldn't she just burp up some truth? Just be like, I sent you something I didn't mean to, I take it back. Please give it to me. I feel like you would have just given it to her.
0: There you go, fish, poking a hole in the whole episode again. I mean, that probably would have solved some problems that they weren't prepared to like really deal with his reaction. I mean, who somebody should have consulted you along the way?
1: I mean, I feel it's true. Uh-huh.
0: Well, on that really impactful note i i think that's it for today folks Uh, so you know until next time fish don't hook up with ben while i'm gone i'm a fish
1: bye bye everyone